Hey guys, I'm Sunny Drinkwater, co-founder of WellEasy. Welcome back to the Drinkwater Diary, where every week I give you, the ambitious thinker, actionable insights from my personal life in order to help you take action, think better and live truthfully, whether you're building a business, starting a podcast, a side hustle or just starting something new. In today's episode, I'm breaking down an ancient story of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. This story is something I remind myself of frequently and is a great way to understand the importance of looking when we don't want to look. If you're unhappy with things or just feel like you need to do things differently, it's often the places we avoid looking that can bring us the most value. So without further ado, here's episode two of my podcast, Look Where You Don't Want to Look. So the story goes as follows. King Arthur had these knights that all sat at the round table. The round table is to show that no one knight is above any of the others and all of them are at equal standing. They're preparing to set off and find the Holy Grail. And the Holy Grail represents the most valuable object in the world. So the knights are setting off to find the most valuable thing possible. But they don't know what it is and they also don't know where it is. But they know that it's of tremendous value to find it. It rings a lot of similarity, especially this time of year, to the wise men who followed the star also to find Jesus, not knowing sort of where he was or where they'd find him. But they get to this forest where the Holy Grail is supposed to be, and they don't really know where to look. It's a huge forest, and they decide collectively that each knight must enter the forest at the point at which looks darkest to him. So what's the story here? Well, these knights have pretty much mastered everything in their lives. They're skilled men respected by the king and loved by many people, is where the phrase, my knight in shining armour comes from. They've pursued things in their lives that they're they're happy about and that they've mastered or they've learned, but then they're faced with an entirely new challenge, something that they may have avoided or, or not chosen to master, and it's quite a frightening thing. You've got a huge forest in front of you, and you're just sort of one small knight in comparison to it, but you haven't done it before, and it's a huge, monstrous task and appears daunting and massive, far more than maybe just the forest and trees might warrant. But the metaphor in a nutshell is this really, if what you're doing in life isn't working or you want to change your life forever or by finding sort of the holy grail or something that's valuable to you or could be the most valuable thing in the world, who knows, or just doing something brand new, it's where you least want to look is the place that you actually need to go. So if you're a person that maybe struggles to stand up for themselves or you might be more agreeable in nature and avoid conflict where possible, or you may have just had enough of maybe not getting your way about something, or just just feeling like you've been walked over. The only real way out of that situation is to do the very thing that you're actually scared of. To move towards conflict, to reason back with with the unreasonable person, or to be honest and truthful if there's something that you're just not happy with. And to put this into context, I thought I'd share two examples of where I learned this lesson and experienced it firsthand. It's probably one of the biggest reasons that I'm actually doing this show in the first place and actually decided to launch Well Easy. In fact, it's still a lesson that I have to remind myself about most days as it's really not an easy one for for humans and especially for me. Uh, Our default is simplicity, safety and comfort and it can be hard to move towards things that scare us. So here's the first example. I've always been inclined to sort of try things here and there and throughout school I I did the usual sort of selling sweets, drinks and other things but never really on, on sort of a massive scale and it seems like something that every either entrepreneur or someone just kind of says today and a lot of people do do it but it was during university that I grew with a sort of very deep passion for startup mentality or at least 
how people would build something from nothing. I was actually obsessed with why some people had ideas and built them and others didn't. But I was always, always super afraid that I'd forever be one of those people that had ideas and just did nothing about them. And I think that's why I actually did what I did. I launched a few little projects at university and I interned at various startups. But the thing was, I was still left with a question at the end of it all, which was really, do I apply for a job, a graduate job for a few years, or do I decide to sort of start my own thing, whatever that sort of meant at the time. And for as long as I can remember, I've always faced what I call sort of imposter syndrome. I've never ever been one of the brighter ones, and I've always been baffled by those that could just think, build and pursue as if it was, you know, something that was just kind of unreachable or unobtainable for myself. I'd shy away from a lot of things too. I wanted to learn how to code, but I stopped after two months. I wanted to learn Italian, but I stopped that after sort of five months. I've never learned Photoshop. I suck at putting a website together or even trying to. But my rationale sort of when leaving university was was kind of this. I'm so, so fortunate right now to be 22 years old, have an incredibly supportive family that I know would help me to pursue whatever it was that I chose and wanted to do. I had a close friend in Josh that was near me in a very, very similar situation, who was sort of waiting for someone he could join forces with that would both you know, push us over the edge and kind of give us that bit more urgency and, and need to do the things we wanted to do. Um, so I decided that if I wanted to learn all of the things I dreamed about in my head, you know, the sunny that can build a business, the sunny that could build a team, the sunny that could help people and achieve you know, financial freedom maybe sooner than, sooner than what's expected of most people, then to do that, I needed to, to jump in head first, do the thing that kind of maybe scared me the most, not kind of delay it or put it off. I needed to kind of go into the wilderness and force myself into a position that would either, you know, be learned fast or, or fail hard. Um, and I was, you know, I'm always open to that. I was very fortunate that I had support around me to be able to do that, um, which was even more of a, a sway sort of in my decision to do, to do it. So I had a valuable vision in my head, things that I wanted to become, but no real idea of sort of how. But I knew that forcing myself into those first few steps and just putting myself into a position where I had to do that thing would put me on that sort of journey and, and help me to achieve all of the things in my head at the time that were you know, the most value possible. Um, and I don't think by any means, as I say, um, we've even remotely found our sort of holy grail or anything that's of, of, of real significant value yet. Um, but I am, I am really genuinely proud that Josh and I have kind of taken that first step and we're, we're building a business, at least at the very start. You know, we've been building this for sort of 18 months now. We're a long way ahead. But, you know, taking that first step and kind of entering at the point at which we saw was, you know, right in the deep end, just, just kind of plunge and start straight in from scratch. Um, was I knew that was going to be the place to start and, and learn. So my second example is a lot more personal. It's likely to be more intangible and less relatable than the first, but I hope it helps you with some of you know some of you listening to conceptualize the King Arthur metaphor and how it can be applied to a lot of our lives. If any of you may have been following me or my content on LinkedIn for some time, you'll know that I'm quite open about struggling with obsessive thinking during university. It's it's a form of OCD really that gives me um, what they call intrusive thoughts about the things I care about the most. So most of it relates to things and kind of attacks things that you really care about. So mine is my work, my health and my relationships. There was a time during university, however, when this seemed to kind of first rear its ugly head. Although I think things have been lurking in the background for some time. I'd always grown up a very sporty and active kid. And due to an injury when joining university, I decided to move away from the sports I'd previously done. I started boxing and immediately fell in love with it. But I was going through a rather social period in my life at the time. There'd been a few things that had affected my family. I wasn't enjoying my work at university. I distanced myself from a lot of people in my social life. And we'd arrived back at university for January exams. And I just remember beginning my revision for the first exam. 
and also worrying to self-certify or, or you know delay my next exam because I just hadn't prepared for it. I had also consumed multiple cups of coffee and a Red Bull, and to say I felt incredibly overwhelmed would be a huge understatement. But later that night, I took myself down to the local hospital. For some reason, my heart was sort of beating in an incredibly weird way. It seemed for every one beat that was kind of normal, my heart was doing two, and then it would jump a beat and then do another two. It was a very, very strange experience. But to cut a long story short, a combination of stress and extensive exercise history, caffeine and obviously probably some genetic predisposition you know, mixed into all of that, um, triggered a bit of an underlying problem that was there for me. I had deeper investigation. There, was, there wasn't really much to show. Um, and I think it's what science deems to be sort of idiopathic is the word they use. Um, but it's just a bit unexplainable, really. I was advised to reduce my exercise levels, to cut out caffeine, and obviously find a better way of dealing with stress. For me at the time, what soon began was a rather sort of anxious relationship with my health, meaning that I was constantly on the lookout for my body you know, behaving strangely. I was avoiding exercise pretty much altogether, cut caffeine out completely. And this continued for some time, but I became, I became sort of progressively unhappy and resentful of what I was feeling. So I'd gone further than the doctor's advice and I'd worked myself up into like a, a very hypersensitive state, um, became rather distracted, which wasn't helpful to me or anything I wanted to do. But where does all this tie in really with the King Arthur story? Well, one day I just decided I'd, I'd kind of had enough. I wasn't disregarding the things I'd been told, but I, was gonna, I wasn't really planning on living a life in fear of something that in the scheme of things was probably relatively minor. Um, it seemed scary, and for a lot of people, you know, that can seem scary at the time, but it was fairly minor. So I decided to get back to running. And in fact, beyond that, I decided that every every other morning, so, you know, not every single morning, but every other morning I'd get up and I'd just do, say, 30 minutes on the bike watching or listen, listen to a podcast or watching a YouTube video. Um, and it was steady. I listened to the podcast and, and persevered through. And I went, I went further. I, d- I decided that, you know what, I wasn't going to let this thing bother me. Um, it was still there as such. I'm still thinking about it and it was still occasionally happening. But I decided to go back to proper training. So four to five maybe weight sessions a week uh, i'd eat clean um, and i'd attempt to distress myself as well it's quite laughable to many i guess when you're, you're sort of that concerned about even the smallest things because um, they can really distract you and your focus from what you're doing you know you could be doing a, a set or something and, and, and one sort of slight beat or something that goes funny you're just kind of your head is just completely thrown out of whack but i soon got back into a, a normal exercise routine and carried on you know, trying to box even a few times a week. I was still very, very cautious of how hard I was going, but that initial sort of hyper-awareness soon kind of subsided, I'd say. It's never really gone, um, and I still battle with it on many, many occasions, and it never really fully goes away, to be honest. But it's largely just the way my brain is wired, and I'm hyper-vision of a lot of things in my work life and beyond that too. My relationship with exercise is actually really, really healthy now. In fact, I don't have too much of a worry pushing myself at all really these days. But it doesn't stop that voice being there. The value that exercise and being able to push myself in my training brings for me, however, is a staple for me in my life. To manage stress, push myself mentally, and just feel good about myself. I needed to get back to training for me, to feel valuable in sort of anything that I was doing. And, you know, it goes back to that same adage, and it might seem like a bit of a hard-to-conceptualise example, but for me it was a real thing. It kind of it was scary at the time. Um, it was scary to kind of push myself over those boundaries to, you know, I, I'd, I'd put probably further boundaries in my head because of the way my brain thinks than what I was told. And I decided to kind of just avoid exercising things altogether. But pushing myself to overcome 
that sort of barrier and block in my mind. You know, I wanted to shy away from exercise. I didn't want to push myself. And being able to do that and take more confidence in how I felt, how I thought, and be able to challenge those those that sort of negative, critical side of your brain was a hugely rewarding thing for me. And in itself, it might not be the, the holy grail or the most valuable thing in the world. Um, but to me, having exercise in my life is hugely valuable. So guys, thank you for listening to this week's episode. I know it was slightly different in terms of the story and the King Arthur analogy, but I hope it made sense to you guys. Um, and just know that the places where you know you don't want to look, whether that's public speaking, whether that's anything you're kind of wanting to, to learn or do or achieve, you know, it comes from going to the hard places. It comes from, you know, like that same adage of the dragon and gold. You know, you've got to face these things and, and overcome them. And on the flip side of that should be something that's very, very valuable and hopefully very valuable to yourself. So I hope today's episode was good. Please, please stay tuned. I've got a very exciting one um, that I've planned for a while for next week. Um, if you've got any thoughts, any feedback or any, you know, you want to share any stories yourself, please, please, uh, you know, send them through and get in touch. If not, have an amazing week. And don't forget to look at the places that you may not want to look.